going on, everybody? Welcome to the week two, really Sunday review for um, the NFL footballs. The footballs are back. We're watching. We're red zone streaming. Uh, we're not dipping into the all 22s. <laughs> Pick the wrong broadcast if you're hoping for a little uh, feedback on that already. Um, and okay, I'm going to even cop to the fact, quite honestly. Afternoon games, eh, gets a little iffy. Um, Sunday night football, first half of Sunday night football is a little bit iffy also for me because I'm, I'm putting together these advanced reviews. The people want their reviews quickly. Um, so I'm putting together the early window advanced reviews at good old unexpectedpoints.subsec.com. They're out, I don't know when they were out. I think they're before the... Um, the late window was even over. Depends on when the data av availability is. And then the late window games, which I guess were only four games here, right? Um, was out during Sunday night football and then Sunday night football this morning. And now we got the review pod. And then we got two Monday night games tonight. I, I, I don't know about the two Monday night thing, but um, I'm not against like splitting up some of the workload for myself. So for that reason, uh, maybe I'm okay with it. Okay, so I'll get into all of the advanced stats, things you should be paying attention to, maybe things you can fade or be buying right now. Now, I do not have PFF stats available, which I like to integrate into, especially quarterback um, rankings and things of that nature. We'll get them eventually. Um, from what I've seen, you know, anecdotally for some games, in particular the Atlanta Falcons versus the Green Bay Packers, where both quarterbacks had pretty good efficiency, especially Love had great efficiency, um, which was predicated on a, a long, you know, DPI that he got in that game um, that doesn't show up in the box score. Uh, their numbers look pretty good, those two quarterbacks, where I don't think it looked quite as good. I think this is when my 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 frenemy cpoe the completion percentage over expected it does help in some ways um not necessarily with turnover worthy throws since that would just be an incompletion um and from what i saw of that game there were at least two dropped like easy dropped interceptions for the packers on that one that don't show up in the epa stats for ritter that ends up looking pretty good um, but they're also, th those guys were just fairly inaccurate. So I do think, you know, that's why the mix of CPOE is not a proxy for PFF grading, but I think it's a lot closer to PFF grading and helps, you know, take away maybe some of the outlier plays that aren't as sticky going forward. But anyway, let's, let's forget that. Let's start. I'll get to those games later. Let's start Sunday night, Sunday night football, um, Dolphins, Patriots. Since pretty much, you know, the world is tuning in for this one. It was an interesting one to watch. Uh, Seven-point victory, the final score. The adjusted score, the one thing that stands out for the adjusted score versus the final score is that it's quite a bit higher. So it's 24-17 was the final score the Dolphins end up winning. The adjusted score was 30-28 Dolphins. So a little bit more narrow, number one. And number two, just a higher score. Both teams were highly successful in this game. 54% uh, success rates for both teams in this one. The third and fourth down, um, a little bit of some some struggles there. That's part of the reason why the scoring maybe wasn't as high as you would have expected. There weren't as many explosive plays, and as we saw it highlighted during the broadcast, part of that was the fact that 
the Patriots in particular were playing against letting them have those explosive plays in the game. Uh, they had this like three deep safety looks quite a bit on there, which I thought were, were pretty interesting in keeping them down there. Um, but the Dolphins were pretty good as far as general numbers on these plays. I mean, they were much, much better if we're talking about a yard per play type of situation. 6.4 versus 4.1 for the Patriots. The Patriots had some turnover problems, but the Dolphins had some penalty problems. They had the missed field goal. They had all that sort of stuff there. So I think both teams could have scored some more points if they didn't have um, as many turnovers for the Patriots. And then, of course, like I said, the block kick for the Dolphins. And 4 of 10 on third down, you know, it's not horrible, but it probably could have been a little bit better in that department there. Um, a few kind of high level things to think about in this game. I highlighted this with a game last week and, uh, you know, maybe I'll even try, maybe I'll do the whole pull up the screen thing here to see if it, how well it works here. Um, the advanced game reviews here. So if you look at the, the win probability, um, last night as time went on again, it's one of these things where generally in these games where we're talking about at least a one quote unquote, one possession possession um lead the entire time because those require touchdown extra point win in overtime in a lot of circumstances or you know touchdown two-point conversion to go up by one and then prevent the other team from scoring two-point conversion win in overtime is basically you know they're both basically coin flips um the the win probability for the dolphins even in while the um, Patriots were driving there and getting on the Dolphins' side of the field and down by seven points, still isn't that low. I mean, it dips below. Well, let me see where the lines are on here. So if we're getting halfway between 75 and 100, then we're talking about, what, 87.5%. So it dips a little bit below that. So about 80, it dips maybe down to 85% at the at the worst margin there at the end before the failed that's probably on first down and 10 um, before the, and then they, you know, they, they play out that series of downs. They have the failed fourth down conversion and um, it jumps up to basically hundred percent. But anyway, it wasn't, you know, the dolphins were kind of firmly in control in that. So that's one misconception that, that happens with this game that probably should be highlighted. Um, if we look just at offensive efficiencies and percentiles here for the dolphins, I mean, they, despite having basically equal success rates, they were much more successful passing than they were running for the Dolphins. So that generally juices up your overall efficiency since you're getting so much more uh, on a per-play basis from a successful play when we're talking about passing versus running. But they were also pretty good running the ball. I mean, 60th percentile, about flat EPA per play. And that was really about Raheem Mostert in this game. So if you take what he did on the ground, and I break some, did I break that down? Um, maybe it's up here. So if you look at what Raheem Moster did on this one, uh, only had a 44% success rate on Mostert carries, but he had the 43-yard touchdown. And, you know, the model's probably a little bit broken, but if you look at a next-gen stats model about the touchdown probability on that run, they had it at point two percent because i mean it was pretty wide open going through the hole but there was a definitely a deep safety i think there was also a 
corner or another safety and a linebacker who are all within a reasonable distance of being able to make a play potentially on that. But this is where we're talking about explosives on the ground game. And that's why I like the Dolphins offense. Raheem Mostert is a big part of that because he delivers these explosives where, you know, you don't like the fact that you only have a 44% success rate rushing the ball. A lot of coaches are big, big, big time on that success rate rushing the ball. But in these offenses where you don't have as many explosives, maybe passing the ball, it's nice to be able to have, at least in some games, some explosives from the running game. And that's what Mostert brings. The 43-yard touchdown was about a four EPA game. So that's a big, big game. That's one of the most positive plays for the game, period, let alone running plays. So it's a huge game running the ball. He had an eight-yard touchdown, which was also a 1.8 EPA gain. Eh, those touchdowns can be a little bit fluky as far as, not fluky, but maybe overstated their EPA gain because there's a big EPA gain just going from you know the two-yard line to the one-yard line to the end zone. That's not necessarily reflective of how good the run was. But he also had another couple of runs that were more than 10 yards. So it's nice to be able to just break off a run and just get a first down and not even have to worry about grinding out a series of downs there. And that's what he enabled them to do in this game. Um, For quarterbacks in this one, I mean, Tua had another good game, about .33 EPA per play. So that is, you know, borderline... MVP-ish sort of level. Um, he's second overall in EPA per play so far this season. Believe it or not, below Jordan Love is first overall, and we'll we'll get to that. Didn't see that one coming. Um, Mac Jones, slightly positive EPA, but it's just the negatives are absolutely killing him, and that's something we saw come through a lot last year versus his rookie year. I mean, he doesn't have a ton to work with, I think, offensively as far as the weapons are concerned. But still, he just there's not enough upside in that passing game to make up for some of the mistakes. And if you look at Mac Jones so far this season, sacks and interceptions, if we combine the EPA lost on those two categories, he's lost about over 21 expected points this year. So when you're averaging like 10 EPA lost per game, which puts them in the in the bottom five in that category. Uh, it's just going to be tough. It's going to be tough to to generate positive value on this one. And what I think was a big positive for Dolphins and maybe their, their picture going forward for any Dolphins fans out there is the fact that when Tua and how that offense performed, um, again, you had the rushing efficiency, which helped give them a counter to defenses that are extremely trying to take away Tyreek Hill and over the top plays and Tyreek Hill did not have a lot of big plays in this game. Um, didn't have many plays at all really in this game, but they were able to pivot Jalen Waddle 7.2 EPA when he was targeted, including a screen that was a huge play um, for them. And he also had 11 targets that went to Braxton Berrios, Durham Smythe, uh, Salvin Ahmed and uh, River Craycraft. Craycraft. Craft. <laughs> um, so what to those dudes, 7.9 EPA on those 11 targets to those guys. So it's good to be able to use all these different options, um, effective counters ready for, for Mike McDaniel. One play that I, or one thing that I want to highlight about this one, because I would say is um, maybe a little bit of a misconception for at least from what I was seeing from the Twitter sphere last night was the fourth down decision by McDaniel at the end of the game. So to lay out the, the circumstances here, 
fourth quarter, 219 left on the clock. Um, the Patriots at this point only have one timeout left. So they don't have a lot of time left. So if you convert a fourth and three at the 37-yard line for the Patriots, the game is basically over. It's a 99% win probability. But what makes this situation a little bit different, I think, from how people may be viewing it uh, versus other coaching decisions when it comes to um, kicking field goals, let's say, if you're up one or if you're down one or two, or even three, or if you're up, you know, even as much as four or five points kicking a field goal in that situation versus in this situation, kicking field goal up seven. If you make the field goal, the game is also effectively over. So converting is effectively over. Making the field goal, the game is over. This is not a situation where converting the game is over and kicking the field goal you're leaving the window open you're gaining some extra points but you're leaving the window open and sometimes you're even giving the team more motivation to go for a touchdown on the other end like when you're up three at the end of these games and you kick a field goal to go up six and then the other team needs a touchdown to win in regulation that can be a massively negative negative decision to do so versus going for it and ending the game and this one not quite the same thing. I mean, if you make the field goal, you have a 98% win probability by the NFL faster model versus 99% going for it. So it's not a big difference. Uh, that is probably one reason why I don't view the decision. I, I thought intuitively, you know, you could go either way on this type of decision. And it really depends on what you assume your field goal kickers effective um, ability is from 55 yards in pretty good weather. It seemed like the weather was good. Now, I think people's perceptions of of Jason Sanders and his ability from that distance were highly affected by a graphic that they put up during the Sunday night football game where they said that Sanders was four of 12 on 50 plus yard kicks since 2021. So only making a third of those kicks and this is 55 yarders. You're thinking, well, he only makes a third of his 50 yarders. This is a 55 yarder, which is a pretty decent one. Like, this is a bad decision. Now, this is convenient splitting of the data here uh, because I looked at Sanders' career, and if you take pre-2021, um, you look at the other side of the split, he was 12 for 15, 80% for over 50 yards. And he's 28 years old. So I don't think this is a situation where, you know, he he's like, uh, I don't know, who's an old kicker, Nick Folk or someone like that who's been around forever who may have reasonably lost some of the distance on the kick there. Um, so this is going to be more about what you know from practice, from other things, like how strong his leg is, how much you know there. there the performance that he's had doesn't really indicate either way that you shouldn't trust kind of like a base rate type of number for a kicker versus this, you know, 33% that he's made since 2021. That's a faulty number to make it look worse than it was. Now, the additional factor here was the um, the Patriots had already blocked a kick because of the fact that they were using this motion for one of the on the kick block team. And it looks like they actually, you know, had the guy in motion again. Maybe that flustered Sanders. That is an additional factor, which could have played into saying, you know what, we just go for it in this in this circumstance, even if our numbers were telling us. Um, to go for the field goal because of Sanders being a pretty good kicker from that range, uh, knowing that through practice. 
yeah, I could see going either way. At the same point in time, I don't think Bill Belichick is like revolutionizing the kick block game. I think this was a one-time thing that's going to end up working. And then any um, kick units who are smart, special teams units who are smart. And if you looked at this particular kick, when Sanders went out on the field, I believe they started the 25-second clock like when they were out there and all set up and ready to go. So it's not like he was rushing or anything like that. All you got to do is say, you know what? For our cadence on this one, we're going to give the normal signal of being set up and ready to go, and we're just going to change our cadence. And we're just going to say, you know, snap it uh, 1-1,000, you know, after when we normally would or 2-1,000 after when we normally would. And then all of a sudden, the guy's either flashing off sides and giving you a free five yards on fourth down. So that's a big risk, right, to give up that free five yards if you're within five yards of converting, and they were on this one. Um. Or he's going to have to just stop his momentum and, and nothing's really going to work there. So I, I think this is like an easy fix. This is not, I don't think he changed the game here, Belichick, but it did work effectively on these two kicks. If they, and I don't, it doesn't seem like they changed up their cadence on that second kick. So that was probably a mistake for, for the Dolphins there. Uh, but generally, I think very positive so far for Tua. He's again, second in the league in EPA per play after being second last season. Um, people looking for maybe the flukiness of that. But and then they'll say, well, he has Tyreek Hill and all this stuff on offense. Well, you know, he really spread the ball around pretty well this time on offense. And they did things running the ball and passing the ball um, for New England. I don't think, you know, I don't think Jones is, you know, broken or anything like that. They can't come back. But you really, really, really got to cut down on those negatives. And that's going to be a big thing. Um, but a lot of the stuff going around about the Patriots being. 0-2 for the first time in like a billion years or whatever it's been. I don't think this team is necessarily that much worse. I don't think it's worse than like the Cam Newton team that we saw a couple, a few years ago, but they're just going to have to get things together for the rest of the season in order to at least try to make a play here. I mean, the bills look a little bit weak, um, but it's going to be tough in that AFC East, but they got, you know, it got a lot less tough, I guess, from the fact that, uh, Aaron Rodgers is down and they have that window opening up to them. All right, let's get into, let's go all the way back to the early window here. Um, I mentioned the Falcons Green Bay game a little bit before, so maybe I'll go ahead and, and highlight that one here. And 25-24 Falcons adjusted score 26-24. So pretty close there. Um, Falcons, huge third and fourth down advantage here. Uh, six of 15 on third down. They added about five EPA. They are three of four on fourth down. They added another five EPA there. And the, the Packers were combined about negative five on late down. So that really explains the game there. You know, it's a, uh, I like to say it's a make or miss league when they sit and they talk about the NBA. Well, it's a convert or don't league in the NFL when it comes to, converting these third downs it's making threes the nba it's converting thirds or fourths in this circumstance when we talk about this game in the nfl is what really ends up deciding a lot of these a lot of these games um if you look at the two teams offensively i mean the packers had pretty good offensive um percentiles here but again looking at the quarterbacks and what they did here jordan love only 29 plays so he just did not have the ball that much that was a problem there. Um, negative 12 CPOE. So again, he wasn't that accurate, but big efficiency on these types of plays there. Desmond Ritter, positive EPA, again, 
multiple plays that could have been interceptions beyond the one interception, his first career interception that he did throw like his negative five EPA from sacks and interceptions and fumbles could have been negative 15 easily on this, on this type of game. Um, you know, I just don't think the ceiling is that high for either one of these quarterbacks. They both had good rushing efficiency. So that's going to keep them in these games. The Falcons are now two and Oh yeah. I mean, I guess they're going to, save people's jobs if they continue to win games when it comes well, not save people's jobs but keep people's jobs but they continue to win games when it comes to arthur smith um but like what's the reasonable upside for this team going forward i'm not sure i still think we might see heineke at some point this season over desmond ritter even if you're but they're getting some w's here and the w's are, are going to matter probably more than anything when it comes to the quarterback decisions and sticking with ritter there uh, even if the games kind of from a watching perspective were, were not really that impressive. Okay. Buffalo versus Las Vegas. I mean, that was a blowout 38 to 10, 32 to 19, a little bit more narrow on the adjusted score. Uh, good success right here. About a 60% success rate on offense for the bills. It's the highest rate we've seen for any team this season. Um, and it came with a passing rate that was over expectation. So they were, they were slinging it a little bit there too. Um, the three most impactful plays of the game, just turnovers. Turnovers killed the Raiders. Two Jimmy Garoppolo interceptions. One of them was a little bit weird where Matt Milano kind of mossed, I think it was Josh Jacobs, and went over the top of him to, to grab an interception. Uh, but that's 10.6 EPA. And then Zayer White fumbled for another 4.5 EPA. And I know I've mentioned this like a billion times, but you basically mix one lost fumble into rushing efficiency numbers and your toast. You know, unless you have the most explosive running game in the history of the world, you just can't turn the ball over or then you get slammed. And it doesn't help that Josh Jacobs ran for negative two yards on nine carries. I'm not sure how that's even possible. So he actually had 6.4, negative uh, 6.4 EPA on his rushes. So it's like worse than just fumbling it and doing nothing. Um, Garoppolo, slightly negative EPA, even with the turnover. So still, you know, fundamentally, producing some value in what he's doing here. I thought it was interesting for Allen that he had like MVP type of efficiency in this game. Lots of underneath stuff. I haven't had a chance to really watch this in detail, so I'm not sure, but 4.4 yard a dot on this one, just spamming the ball to the outside and short. If you look at the pass chart on this game, um, the next gen stats has it as a 9.3% CPOE where they take account for, you know, receiver separation and things like that with the tracking data. The straight numbers just looking on the depth of target is a 15% over expectation. So very, very accurate for Allen. And importantly, um, negative, only negative three EPA on any sorts of mistakes in this one. No interceptions, no fumbles. It took a sack, but not a big deal. Um, maybe, you know, don't do the trying to leap for the goal line from five yards away when <laughs> you're not going to get their play on Josh Allen, but who, I mean, whatever, that's just who Josh Allen is. Um, it's, it's kind of inseparable for, from his game. You know, that's, that's who Josh Allen is. That's what he's going to do. So I, I don't know. You, you hope he doesn't get injured because he had that elbow issue last year, but I'm not too overly worried about it. I'm not going to get on his case too much about it either. Okay. Cincinnati, Baltimore, Three-point win for the Ravens, six points according to the adjusted score. So even worse for Cincinnati. I don't know. Where it's definitely going to be panic mode in um, Queen City. Is that what they call it? I don't know what the hell they call Cincinnati. But it's going to be panic mode there. Uh, 
Uh, 50% success rate, so not that bad for the Bengals, but just like where are the explosive plays for this team? Uh, Burrow, you got the negatives. You don't have the explosives. That's really a problem. Jamar Chase has not broken 40 receiving yards in either game this this season. Uh, 5.4 yard A dot for Burrow. 5.4 yards per attempt. So again, we strip out the mistakes. Still only 5.4 yards per attempt. What are we going to do here? for the Bengals. I mean, their offensive efficiency wasn't horrible. It was mid range, but their defense, which has been a top 12 type of unit by opponent EPA per play the last three seasons, you know, they, they got thrashed in this one, 57% success rate against 85th percentile uh, offensive EPA against uh, not, not good, not good there. Um, Jackson, good passing game for him here after struggling a little bit, passing the ball uh in week one 9.1 a dot 5.8 completion percentage over expected zero mistakes in this one so zero fumbles zero interceptions zero sacks that's really helped him quite a bit i'm still not convinced that this version this three wide receiver version this passing more passing dominant or not designed run game with lamar jackson is really going to work in the long term because if you look at this one, um, if you look at this one, it's like Lamar Jackson, 25 non-Jackson rushing attempts in this one, design runs in this one. Jackson, four designed runs in this one. I think he only had two design runs in week one. Now, he is scrambling eight scrambles for 37 yards. And that's part of like, again, well, I'm just not quite sure this passing game is really the best thing for him because he does end up scrambling a lot. Uh, but as long as he's not taking sacks, I think it's okay. We'll see in other games if it comes back to bite them a little bit. I'm just not sure the passing offense really has the upside to it. With Zay Flowers doing well, but again, you know, he, he caught some passes down the field, 9.1 ADOT. So not bad for, for Jackson, but he's still probably more of an underneath type of option there. Anyway, we'll see. I'm not convinced by anything by the Ravens, but they're going to bank their two victories so far this season. And for for Burrow, I don't know. I don't know if we can like just say, well, they struggled to start last season and now they're struggling again because last season it was Burrow just had massive like turnovers. What was it? Five turnovers or six turnovers in week one against the Steelers in that overtime game. That's something you can kind of cut out of your game a little bit more easily than when you just don't have upside at all in the passing game. And that's what we've seen so far from Burrow. Uh, Detroit, Seattle, adjusted score of five points versus a six-point differential in the actual score. Not a whole lot to see here. I mean, big turnover advantage because of Jared Goff lost 8.2 EPA on the pick six. First interception in 383 attempts. David Montgomery fumble on first and 10 from the Lions 31-yard line, negative 6.4 EPA. So just think about that. Like if you're passing from not the most favorable situation and you give up a pick six, it's 8.2 EPA lost um, or, or expected points lost. Just a fumble on first and 10 from your own 31 yard line is 6.4. So it's almost as bad. Like fumbles just ah, very, very painful. And that's what drove the Lions down to 13th percentile efficiency running the ball is that fumble. Um, good game again for golf, uh, good bounce back game from Geno Smith. He was master of CPOE last year, 15% over expectation. in this one, 
a little bit smaller a dot but no mistakes kept kept the mistakes down that's huge for Gino. that's where he fell apart last year I mean, he had a big big sack at the end of this game that which looked pretty bad where i think he took like a 20 yard sack down within their own 10 yard line but it ended up uh, working out okay for him here um lions you know lions are the lions they're going to be okay that division really stinks though so i think they're still in the driver's seat there um and the seahawks they can still get back get back into being a uh competitive team although you know i'd like to see a little bit more from that defense we saw stafford plays so well although stafford looks a little bit rejuvenated this year last week against them and then outside of the the pick six and the fumble that lions team was just moving was moving the ball in this one, 50% success rate offensively. So I think the Seattle, we got some, we may have some issues on the defense going forward, but still a little bit of wait and see here. Uh, Houston versus Indianapolis. Eh, not a ton to say on this game. We have the two versus three pick. We have Richardson leaving with a concussion. Um, not majorly concerned about that, but I do think of course it's a risk when you have a running quarterback and he's doing most of his damage on the ground so far this year. It really reminded me when he got concussed on this one, not the manner of the concussion, because it looked like mostly for Richardson, it was falling back and hitting the back of his head on the ground afterwards. But it reminded me a little bit of a Cam Newton concussion uh, several years ago where he was going to the end zone where he almost didn't think that the defender was going to take a sh- was going to pop him right as he went into the end zone. He almost slowed down. Now, Cam Newton slowed down much, much more. Or wasn't as prepared for the shot, I would say. He was much more nonchalant, I would say, going into the end zone. And he just got walloped. But he's such a big dude, too. Same thing with, with Richardson. Right? I, just th- I just think he didn't think this uh, defensive back was really going to bring it to him because it was obvious he was going to score no matter what. But it was like right at the goal line. So you're allowed to do that as a defender. And Cam Newton, I think, ended up missing a couple of weeks with a concussion for that one. Richardson reminded me a little bit on this on this one. Like he was just too straight up going into the end zone, maybe thinking that the defender was just going to let him go and wasn't going to take his shot right on the goal line. Um, if he lowers his shoulder a bit, gets a bit lower, I think he's fine on that play. And he really has got to work on that going forward and protecting himself if he's going to continue to uh, run the ball as much as he was. Um, CJ Stroud was okay in this game outside of the negatives which were big 13 EPA lost six sacks and a lost fumble. So the fumbles are a little bit fluky, you know, but still six sacks is a lot against the Colts defense where I'm not sure they're bringing a ton of pressure. Um, so that's a bit disconcerting, but outside of that positive completion percentage over expected, pushing the ball down the field, uh, pretty strong number and just straight up how much EPA he produced passing the ball and doing it through the air, not just on yak. So I think it's a positive there. Cleaning up the mistakes is sometimes easier said than done. But if Stroud can do that, some positives going forward. Um, Minshew. Well, let's talk about Richardson. One fact. I mean, another good game for him, but only 14 plays basically on the ground. He only had 0.5 passing EPA, but he had 3.5 on the ground. Um, and negative 10% CPOE. So inaccuracy has been an issue still for him these first couple of games. So I think everyone, you know, back patting themselves about Richardson being the correct pick at number one looks great for him so far. I think he looks pretty good even when he is passing the ball, but there hasn't been a ton of passing success. And we kind of knew that rushing success could be there. So it's still for me a little bit wait and see on the total thesis for him. I had him in a tier by himself as my second, uh, 
prospect of the class and still putting Bryce Young above him, who, you know, we've only seen one game from so far because I still thought there were enough questions with Richardson in the passing game. Um, but I did have him above Shroud, who obviously went earlier than him in the draft. Uh, Gardner Minshew is one of these guys where would the Colts be willing to trade him? Well, maybe before Richardson getting injured, that would have been something to to think about. I'm not sure you could have gotten that much for him, but he's probably better than at least a handful of quarterbacks out there when it comes to producing enough value to get your team into the playoffs if you have really good surroundings. You know, I'm looking at you, maybe the Jets. <laughs> I'm looking at you, uh, the Falcons, even though the Falcons are 2-0. and You know, maybe he kind of, he probably raises the, the floor and the ceiling there versus Desmond Ritter. So he came in in 25 plays, you know, completed a bunch of passes, 0.32 EPA per play, no mistakes. You know, it's not exciting for Minshew, but I think um, he's really a backup that more, more people should have been interested in this year. Okay, Jacksonville, Kansas City, ugly game for what would have been like reigning MVP Mahomes versus uh, making the leap candidate Trevor Lawrence in this game. I had his beating about equal versus um, – versus the score line here success rate was better for the Jaguars versus the Chiefs although they were both pretty bad and what it really came down to was converting on third downs and it's been the problem for the Jags so far this year so if you want to think about the Jags positively despite poor results so far this year you got to look at their third and fourth down efficiency and say is this fundamentally a team that should not be able to convert on third and fourth down I don't think so I think this is like a good offense. Trevor Lawrence is, has been great, but it's you know a good offense there. But they've been getting crushed on converting these third downs. They're 3 of 12 yesterday on third down, 0 of 2 on fourth down. Whereas the Chiefs weren't great, but they were 2 of 2 on fourth down, which is huge. And then they were 4 of 13, so slightly better on third down. And then if we go back to Jacksonville, and what they did in that week one victory, which was you know a little bit on the ugly side, in the week one victory on third and fourth down, three of 12, again, on third down, one of three on fourth down. So they could have a lot more points so far this year um, than they actually have because of those struggles that they've had on third and fourth down. A 22 EPA advantage for the Chiefs in this game on late downs. That's pretty much it. That pretty much explains everything there. And it's crushing the uh, Jags efficiency so far this year. Um, and again, for Lawrence, you know, again, I'm not like Lawrence needs to be questioned, but I thought it was a little bit early last week that so many people were anointing him as being like MVP candidate Lawrence. He is in the discussion as being at the top or, in the thick of that second tier behind um, Patrick Mahomes after what he did last week, which was, you know, a bad performance relative by the numbers, but he had the, you know, the dropped interception, um, the other weird play where he got tipped with the arm going forward. And then it ended up being a fumble six after it went to tank Bigsby. So I get like, you know, you take out those things, you look better. Like I get, he's making some impressive throws and just hasn't converted on third downs. But you know, this is another negative performance, negative CPOE, negative performance here from a EPA per play perspective. He's down in the bottom five six in efficiency so far this year. You know, not panicking. They got the they 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 
they kind of at their expected, maybe one and one at this point, playing the Chiefs in week two, but it's something to watch. Um, when it comes to Lawrence, when it comes to Herbert, also, these are guys who I love to play, but I think the truth lies a little bit, maybe not closer to the efficiency, but the truth doesn't lie in what their perception, I believe, is on these guys as being as elite as they are versus their numbers haven't been quite as good. So we have to at least give some credence to that and maybe adjust our expectations a little bit for those guys going forward. Uh, Bucks Bears. This was the game that I highlighted in, if you listened to last Friday's pod, I talked about my kind of expected pressure model that I was developing based upon strength of schedule in the past and, and working all that stuff and how this was just a huge differential between the Bears and the Bucks in this one. And it, it worked out pretty well. Uh, Fields was sacked. Of course, Fields, you know, he, he, he loves to take of the sack six times. And Baker Mayfield, although he, he actually logged quite a few pressures and he can invite pressure sometimes, but zero sacks in this game. So that was a big one. Uh, turnover advantage was another big one. Fields had that pick six at the end of the game. I guess it was on a screen pass. Pretty ugly at that point in time. They were, you know, they were still in it a little bit, at least at that point in time before the interception. Two minutes remaining, down three points. Uh, so this game was a little bit closer probably than the final score. I had about a five-point differential, but I'm not sure there's a lot of positive takeaways from the Bears. Their defense just looks really, really bad. Uh, Fields still holding the ball too much. And if he's not getting the explosive rushes and he had negative one rush scramble EPA this this year, and again, he just wasn't going to have you know three, four, 60-yard rushes like he did last year. If he's not getting those explosive rushes, like where does his value come from? In this passing offense, he has to be kept clean. He has to have time. He has to have clearly delineated throws down the field. At least this is how it looks so far through his career. And we're talking about year three here. He has to have all those things and the rushing upside to be uh, like above average, efficient quarterback. I don't know. That's just asking a lot, um, especially he's asking a lot for the, from this team, which is not which looks like if it were going to make a leap based upon free agent and draft picks and all that stuff, it's more likely it was really going to coalesce next season rather than this season. This season just doesn't look like they're putting things together, especially defensively. Um, and that's going to be an issue. Baker, whatever. I'm not buying Baker Mayfield, but he had, you know, a great game by the numbers, a fantastic game by the numbers. Again, no mistakes are huge for him, whether that will continue going forward or not. I don't know. I think he's in the top 10 in, passing efficiency, but I did think there was a pretty high probability that he could give you like average ish sort of QB play on this team. And that's why I've been high on the bucks um, all off season so far. So good coming through, but it's just weird to see the NFC South. Now we have the saints at one and pending Monday night football. We have the Falcons at two and and we have the bucks at two and and then, you know, the the Panthers at 0-1, again, pending uh, Monday Night Football. So if, if you think about it, like somebody is going to get a win tonight in the NFC South. And then we'll have, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, six and two overall for the NFC South through two weeks. That is just not something I would have expected at all. Um, not not the worst division in football. That would be the AFC South for me, but I think they were the second worst. Actually, maybe the NFC North was the second worst. Well, they were one of the worst divisions. I was higher, though, on the division generally than, than the market, so at least that's paying off so far. Uh, Tennessee versus the Chargers. Yeah, it's, it's difficult for the Chargers. Now, 
I had the adjusted score difference being zero. It's actually slightly towards the Chargers if you go out a, a digit here in the adjusted score. And they would be 2-0 and by the adjusted score. So congratulations, Chargers fans. You're, you're adjusted 2-0 and versus 0-2 um, right now. But not a lot impressive to look at here. I mean, they dealt with a juggernaut offense in week one and big plays for, for the Miami Dolphins, and then they were able to run the ball effectively. So you thought, well, hey, they'll just continue to do that. Well, guess what? Didn't happen. Um, and I think that's the problem, right? You think this is a fundamental strength running the ball. You think it can it can push you forward, but 2.9 yards per carry in this one. They were losing about a fifth of a point every single time they had a design run. Just not a formula for success. Justin Herbert did what he could. Uh, positive, if you want to have a positive to take away from this game, 10.8 yard A dot. So stretching the ball down the field. Uh, it was very strange to see like Keenan Allen making plays on the sideline. He, I assume I didn't look at, I just saw a lot of these highlights flash up on red zone. So those who watched the game would know more than I did. But if he's making these plays on the sideline, I assume he's lining up on the outside, which they talked about doing. And seemed farcical. Um, but hey, if it's working, it's working. 9.7 EPA throwing to uh, Keenan Allen. And, you know, but Josh Palmer uh, continues to be a little bit of a black hole when it comes to targets. Zero catches on five targets for Palmer. Um, rushing efficiency. Again, getting like flat efficiency from the Titans is a good rushing, you know, quote, quote unquote, good rushing game. It's a 60th percentile type of rushing game, but the Titans came and produced big plays throwing the ball this week. Uh, even though they continue to have like huge negatives, Tannehill is just your negative and positive quarterback there. Um, but positive EPA in limited volume in this game. Uh, another thing with Herbert, you know, 0.16 EPA per play, not bad. Positive 7.7 CPOE. Okay, that's fine. But, like, again, are we starting to get worried at all about Herbert? He's 14th in EPA per play so far this season. So it's not bad, but it's, you know, again, middle of the road for a quarterback who some people are saying, hey, you could put him third in the NFL. I don't think anyone's saying second above Josh Allen, but maybe. Maybe there's some people who are saying that. But I, I've seen him rank third. I think the ringer had him rank third above Joe Burrow. Now, Burrow hasn't exactly been knocking the cover off the ball this year. So uh, maybe Herbert benefits from that. But, you know, I was a big, like, Herbert guy. I'm not a big Herbert guy. But I was higher than him than most coming out of college. I was ready very quickly into his rookie season to say, okay, this guy is gonna is really going to be something. Um, but now we, we got to see. We got to see a little bit more going forward. I know he hasn't had the easiest circumstances, but – uh, we don't want to be too much of an apologist for him also from what we've seen so far from Herbert. Okay, let's shift to the late window here. And then, you know, I'll take some Q&A. So anyone who is tuning in here who wants to drop Q&A in there about uh, anything that happened this weekend, we can do that. But let's roll through the late window here. Um, we'll go to... The desert, Arizona versus the Giants. Big comeback, obviously, by the Giants in this game. We heard a lot about it. Uh, I did not have Daniel Jones, Josh Dobbs shootout in this game, but that's kind of what it ended up being. 
Uh, I'm not sure how happy the Giants can be about the defensive performance here, despite getting the win. 50%, 44% success rate for the Cardinals, which is above average. They're in the 80th percentile for offensive efficiency. Josh Dobbs, 0.38 EPA per play, one of the best numbers of the week so far. Um, yeah, I mean, no mistakes. So you, you got you to gotta force Josh Dobbs into some mistakes here. No interceptions, no fumbles, no sacks. That's, that's, that's a little bit rough. Um, he's also effective running the ball. And James Conner. 23 carries for 106 yards. So I don't know. This this Giants defense, you're going to have to get it together if they really want to have a chance of doing anything. But they needed this W. And it's kind of been funny that the Cardinals were like the tanking team, right? And this is when tanking, when it comes to the NFL, is so difficult to do. Um, I mean, they could be 2-0. and A few plays go a different direction here. They could be 2-0. and But congrats to Cardinals fans. You've secured your two losses while uh, not you know completely shitting the bed and being an embarrassing franchise so far. So congrats to that. Uh, what else to say here? Saquon Barkley may be injured. Uh, biggest negative play of the game was, and this is why Jones's efficiency was probably even better than the 0.3 that he has on here was a interception that went through his hands. It wasn't the easiest catch, but you got to make that catch for Saquon Barkley, which cost the giants about seven points in EPA, uh, rookie Jay and Hyatt, Hyatt. I'm going to highlight him just because I like him. Uh, two catches, 89 yards, about six EPA. Maybe, maybe it'll grow into something. It's like the explosive play down the field, which there was basically none of last year for the Giants. 9.4 A dot, which helped on a huge, uh, I think it was like a, was it 70-yard play to high it down the field on that one. Uh, logged the victory, Giants, but, you know, not, not the greatest game there, obviously, from a fan perspective. Uh, LA, San Francisco. Congrats to um, Rams betters in this game, where I believe the last second field goal down 10 points here for the Rams <laughs> cutting the differential to seven actually like affected that very weird play. They're like, why is why is McVay doing this? And all these people are acting like he's doing it because of the point spread. It, it, does McVay, I mean, McVay might actually know the point spread, but does McVay care about covering? I don't think so. I think he's doing it because this is like coaches are weird. You know, they're down 10 points. There's no way they can win the game. They're like, let's just do something. Let's get that positive momentum of a made field goal and the optics of losing by seven points versus losing by 10 points. Let's rack that up and move forward. Um, but anyway, uh, I, the 49ers fumbled twice, uh, but recovered both of their fumbles. So that's why the adjusted score is only a one point differential, which is probably too narrow um, versus the seven point differential here. There's also explosive plays. I mean, the success rates were pretty similar between these two teams. So if the 49ers offense can continue to produce explosive plays and maybe they have a higher like base rate ability to do so than what you would expect that's going into the model, hey, we'll throw it away. Christian McCaffrey, 51-yard run, um, and Brock Purdy got the one-yard touchdown, which gave them some decent EPA on the ground and gave them an 80th percentile type of EPA per play number. But negative 3.1 EPA and their other 25 designed runs. So it was like heavily skewed towards a couple of plays here. Um, Stafford, you know, after everyone patting themselves on the back last week for having him ranked highly and his great performance against the Seahawks. 
in a very, very tough matchup. I'll give him that. Um, negative EPA per play, negative 10 CPOE. Bad game by the numbers. Lost about 12 expected points on interceptions and sacks and fumbles. So, you know, I don't think it was bad. Stafford had to throw the ball 55 freaking times in this game. Um, but Puka, Puka Nakua, <laughs> I can't believe, I should probably know how to say that. I've just read, I've just, I've just read it in print like a billion times from fantasy football websites, 20 targets. What the hell is going on here? 15 catches for 147 yards. Now he's kind of got like a, he's, he's putting up some Julio Jones stat lines here without getting any touchdowns, but seriously, two games into this dude's career, 35 targets in two games, 25 receptions. I mean, 266 yards is like not insanely uh, productive through two games, but the 35 targets and 25 receptions is absolutely fucking crazy, especially about PPR, PPR God, uh, Puka Nakua. Congrats to anyone who put in um, 75% of their fab budget in fantasy football leagues and then got him and started him again uh, this week or anyone had him at the beginning. No one started in week one, right? But anyone who started this week, congrats to you. Uh, Purdy, trucking along, you know, he looks like he's going to log a top 10, at least, if not top five efficiency number this season with what's going on there. And again, I mentioned this last week a bit. Yes, it's Shanahan's system, but I think Brock Purdy's probably like an okay quarterback, a good quarterback. Um, I don't have a lot of quarterback rankings to go off of for perception wise. So I'm going to keep mentioning the ringer one because I had read it. I think he's like still in the twenties and barely moved up after even week one. I mean, come on, let's give Brock Purdy some credit here. You know, you could say, Oh, Shanahan can turn anyone into a great quarterback. Well, I mean, they had the number three overall pick and then that, that didn't work out so hot. So uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, not so great this week, but he still overall has been okay for the Raiders and some, tough matchups so far this year and was pretty good uh with the with the um with the Patriots way back in the day. So you start to combine all those reps we're almost getting like a full season of strong strong numbers from Garoppolo. So put some respect on Brock Purdy's name, Ringer. Uh Stephen Ruiz, I'm calling you out here. Um okay, Dallas versus the Jets. This is one we knew was going to be rough for the Jets, and it was. I didn't. This again, I didn't watch a lot of this game. I know it's a nationally televised game. It had the uh, Jim Nance, Tony Romo number one slot at CBS. So a lot of you guys probably did watch this. Um, turnovers galore. Twenty points were gained on three Jets turnovers, and the Cowboys did not fumble at all. The adjusted score more narrow here, and again, this was the case also week one with a you know a huge twenty eight point differential in the actual score versus the versus the Giants. So we're getting to like to say these games are more narrow than their actual scores is not like the biggest insult to the Cowboys. If you have twenty plus point differentials in back to back games, yeah, like you're probably not that much better than your competition. Uh, but I think I will point out it's a very turnover heavy type of advantage that they've been getting so far um, or special teams also in week one. And maybe that'll continue, but you know, that's going to be a little bit up and down, but I don't think there's anything fundamentally problematic about the Cowboys defense or fraudulent about the Cowboys defense. It's just something to keep in mind going forward. Um, we'll see how long we stick with Zach Wilson. They did open the door in some news reports to bringing in, I think that were, 
that were translated out through um, Diana Rossini, the, the, the mouthpiece there who had a lot of positive reports about the Jets in the offseason, which she's getting rewarded for that by being the Jets, um, the Jets translator. Um out into the media here where she put out a bunch of tweets. I think it was on Sunday morning about the fact that they might, they're, you know, they're looking at free agent quarterbacks, but strictly as a number two for Zach Wilson, strictly as a number two for Zach Wilson. <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> like it, it, The results are going to, are going to carry it through. I mean, difficult matchup on the road, but you know, negative 0.36 EPA per play for Wilson, uh, less than 50% completion percentage in this game, 20% under expected. Uh, and even the number could have been worse if it wasn't for a 68-yard touchdown to Garrett Wilson with 55 yards of yak on that. Um, not great. Dalvin Cook, I mean, whatever. Some some bad, not exactly the greatest circumstances for him and some bad luck with a, with a fumble this week, but not looking so hot of a pickup, of a free agent pickup there. Now he has negative 11 EPA on 17 designed runs. Pretty bad. I think that's registering in at the um, zero percentile for offensive efficiency so far for Dalvin Cook. Not looking good. Um, one thing I want to highlight about Prescott is quietly efficient in this game. He dropped back to pass 42 times. So it's not like he didn't drop back to pass that much. Uh, 12% CPOE. Tiny A dot though. He's just like 4.4 yard A dot. So he's not like, he's not doing exciting stuff he's not generating like air yards epa but he's keeping the negatives down he's being efficient both weeks the defense is really the story there but i will say and you know what i should look this up right now mvp odds for the nfl right now i probably should have done this before um Okay, this is this is this is not good. Um, this is not good podcasting here. I apologize. Okay, so MVP odds. I want to get like the full layout here. We still have above Dak Prescott in MVP odds. What this can't be correct because it still has Aaron Rodgers on here. <laughs> okay, I don't know when these odds are from. Actually, I got okay. I, now, now I'm really doing bad podcasting here. Where I'm actually going to go to a particular um, sports book to see if I can. Um, I can I, I, let's go to DraftKings just so I can find it. So make sure I have. Oh no, it's about right. So it's, it's fifteen hundred plus fifteen hundred for Dak Prescott right now. So for those of you who are uh, doing the the math at home, fifteen hundred equals out to an implied probability of six point two five percent. So quarterbacks who are Tied with him in odds or above him right now. Trevor Lawrence also at 1,500. Lamar Jackson, 1,300. Jalen Hurts, 850. And Hurts has been bad this first two weeks. Patrick Mahomes, 700. Tua leading most valuable player odds. Holy crap. I didn't think I would see that even after, at least according to DraftKings, even after these last two weeks. But Tua and then Josh Allen's number two. So I don't know about, I mean, I think Prescott should be a little bit higher up. He's in the top few for epa per play so far let me see i tweeted this out earlier today he's third in epa per play so 0.38 per play versus 0.46 for tua so not too far away but you know way above some of these other guys here and like i do believe it's the most efficient quarterback who wins the award and not just 
like the winningest quarterback and people overplay like will the team be a winning team or not because it's very highly um, intertwined the winning and the success with how well the quarterback plays. But, you know, this is a this is a Cowboys team that's looking pretty dominant. So if they win the division. They're better than the Eagles. They're number one seed in the NFC. Prescott puts up, you know, top, top efficiency numbers. Let's say Tua gets injured or something, or he falls off a bit, or they just lose some games because they don't have as great of a defense and as easy. Well, actually, I don't I have to check schedules. I don't think the schedules are super easy for the Cowboys this year like they were last year. Um, but anyway, like, you know, Prescott could be in the mix. I, I don't think he's he's kind of shaken off a little bit like I'm a product of the running game sort of label that he had before. And if he's going against someone like Tua for MVP, Tua's also, you know, got people who hedge his numbers severely. Um, so in a year where Burrow looks miserable, Jackson is okay, but I'm a little bit questionable on if he can keep things up. Mahomes will probably turn things around, but it's just been okay. Josh Allen has been okay, you know, and pretty good, not great. Uh, a lot of mistakes there. Who knows? Prescott might be in the mix at MVP. I'm going to, I'll run some numbers after the end of this week and try to figure out whether I really want to bet on something like that. All right, let's go to Denver, Washington. Another adjusted scores win for the Broncos. So Broncos, you're 2-0. Again, this is just like the Chargers. 2-0 by the adjusted scores versus 0-2 by the actual scores. Um, all right, I'm just putting the drop Q&A in here. for anyone who wants to ask since we're getting close to the end of these game reviews. So Russell Wilson interception fumble. That was painful. That's pretty much it. That's the eight point turnover differential that cost them the game. Uh, way too good of offense from the commander. So maybe the Broncos defense is gone is flipped over to being fraudulent after keeping them in some games last year um, while the offense struggled. Cause I don't think people realize for Russell Wilson, he's been okay from, from efficiency this year, despite the mistakes last week, he is at 0.21 EPA per play this year, sixth in the NFL, ahead of Josh Allen, ahead of Geno Smith, ahead of Justin Herbert, ahead of Lamar Jackson, ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but the Broncos are 0 2. So I think the Sean Payton Russell Wilson combo has actually been pretty good so far. It's just so many negatives last week crushed his efficiency. And this last week crushed his efficiency. And, you know, Sam Howell was good. I don't know where I'm willing to declare him. I have to watch to see how he actually looked in this game. But, you know, I might might be willing already to put him above Desmond Ritter, at least in my projections going forward. And it's just, it is kind of crazy that Ron Rivera, like needing to win so far this season, is now 2-0 uh, and with Sam Howell going with a fifth-round quarterback. Um. Broncos, I don't know if they're dead, but it's not great. But at least they have this offense. They have the offense with Russ that seems to be performing pretty well. You just can't have all those mistakes. Just crushing, crushing mistakes there for the um, the Broncos. All right, let's go to see if anyone has any, any Q&A here, and then I'll peel out, let people get back to their Monday overreactions. Uh, says, what's your biggest takeaway from the season so far or what you think is least likely to sustain? Good question. Let me let me think about it. I mean, I think the biggest takeaway for me would be the continued success of guys like Tua, who are a little bit skeptical of so far this year. Um, 
That one I think is interesting. What I think is least likely to sustain, I do think these defenses having solved offenses, which was more of a week one phenomenon already than a week two phenomenon, is probably not going to sustain as much. We saw it last year. I think we'll see offenses respond back. I'm not sure what's going on with this, like, defenses scheming things up and cooking things up in the offseason to continue going forward. But that seems to be something that has happened so far um, that may continue to go on so far so far this year. I mean, I guess Burrow's got to get better. I don't know. Burrow's, what a disappointment so far for for him this season. That, I think, is a big issue. And then, like I mentioned, I'm pretty, I'm pretty down on the Falcons, so I think – I don't know. I would take Bucks over Falcons in that division, quite honestly. Um, do you think this is Belichick's last year with New England? Maybe. It, it would be it would be a little bit strange in that I don't think they're actually playing that poorly given the talent that they have on that roster. It's just you don't have Brady, obviously. Um, and Brady also, for who he was in his career, and it's interesting that he's also on that list along with Aaron Rodgers for the most – um, attempts without an interception. I think he was second most to Rogers. The Rogers one is banana bananas too, because, um, because it was from the 2018 season. Well, let me just talk about this. Sorry, this is an aside here, but let me talk about this. Like not throwing interceptions. I don't think is like the great stat that people try to make it out to be in Goff's case. The Lions have been pretty good. I think they were eight and two in the games where he didn't throw an interception. So I'll give you that. But the Roger stat was absolutely ridiculous because the season where he had this great no interception streak he only had two interceptions in total in 2018 the team was six nine and one Aaron Rodgers throw some interceptions buddy you're losing games like take some risks it seems absurd that he would be playing in that sort of way um but that also get that gets me back to Tom Brady like Brady's skill and his ability especially you know early in his career but also for a lot of his career a lot of it is like not making the mistakes you know being that guy like him not throwing interceptions I think is fine when you're playing on the Patriots who have a good defense who are winning games and that's the problem so far with Mac Jones is like the defense and I think what Belichick has done he's schemed things well enough to win games but the mistakes are just not getting him over the hump. So I don't think he's like lost it. I don't know if he would want to leave or not. I don't know if you could fire him, um, if it could be a mutual parting of ways. But I think they're better than their 0-2 start. I think if you can clean a little bit of things up offensively, um, they can play better. But you really just need Mac Jones to play more like the like game manager version of of that's good about Tom Brady. I mean, Tom Brady has the upside stuff too, but he was really like an excellent game manager type in a lot of these games where the Patriots were were playing well. And that's what we're just not seeing from Mac Jones. And that's the problem, I think. Uh, but Belichick too, how old is this dude? Belichick is 71 years old. So yeah, that's pretty old. Pete Carroll, 72 Nick Saban, 71. Those are the names that pop up when they're in Google search here about those guys. So, yeah, he is getting up there. So it, it could be the end for him, especially if he sees, like, we're not going to get a quarterback in the draft next year. 
We're stuck with Mac Jones. They got Bailey Zappi. I don't know if he's ready for the Zappi experience, but maybe we'll see Zappi again so far this year. But I guess I would guess no, because I just don't think Bill Belichick has anything better to do with his life. But who knows? We'll end up seeing. Um, question here. Why didn't the Jets invest more in QB2 during offseason? Are they attached to the second overall pick? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the problem. I think you kind of have your fingers crossed. Well, first of all, like a lot of the offseason went by with with like the free agents, the guys who you would want to collect when you had this standoff between the Jets and the Packers on making that trade for Aaron Rodgers, which in the end, the Jets like kind of just folded and gave them a ton. So I don't really understand like what they were waiting for, but obviously you saw Carr go someplace else. And then you see the other guys like Dalton goes to Carolina Heineke. I'm not into Heineke, but whatever Heineke goes to Atlanta. Minshew goes to Indianapolis. Um, you got a lot of these guys who just go somewhere because they want a job. Other teams want to secure their number two. The Jets don't want to like invest in another free agent quarterback with Wilson on the roster who they're not ready to completely get rid of, knowing that they're still working on the Aaron Rodgers deal. Uh, I think that really complicated things. But I also think they're too attached, the number two overall pick. But I will say, and I mentioned this earlier as part of his uh, part of the talk, I think it's good. I think it was like as good of a signal that you can get from the Diana Rossini tweets where she says they're going to bring in a free agent, but that free agent is not competing with Zach Wilson. That's fine. You can just say that. They, they want to just say that. They want to stick by it. They want to you know give those optics. That's fine. Let's look at actions. If they're going to bring in a real free agent who can compete with him, uh, whether they say it's a competition or not, it doesn't really matter. They win. They lose even another game, one more game, and Zach Wilson looks bad. Uh, they'll insert that person. But I just think you know the Jets should have just been more proactive and ready to say, we, you know, Zach Wilson will be our QB three coming into the season. Let's sign someone else during the real free agency period and still bring in uh, Rodgers later on. A little note here from Evan saying he did he did mention wanting to break Shula's win record. That's a good point. So let's look that up here. This is Reed Belichick. So Don Shula versus Bill Belichick. What are we looking at here? Um, with the win record. How many more wins does he need for this? So Shula is at 347. Uh, Belichick. Actually, let me make sure this is updated for the season. Shula actually says 328 here. I don't know. Maybe there's a dispute between different websites. So 328. George Hallis, 318. Bill Belichick, 298. So, I don't know, man. That's 30 wins. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot of wins for a 71-year-old here. Um, so, let's just think about, like, 10 win seasons. 10 and 7 is pretty good. Better than what probably what you're expecting from the Patriots. That's three full seasons uh, to get there. And, and he's not going to have the win percentage because um, Shula has a better win percentage right now. And I don't think he won more than two thirds of his games. And I don't think Belichick's going to continue to win more than two thirds of his games. But, uh, but again, like he, he's got nothing better to do. Bill's got nothing better to do. Um, but there has been some tension. Let's face it between Bill and, um, and Kraft in the past, I think with the whole Garoppolo 
Brady situation, if you believe what Seth Wickersham and some other people at ESPN had reported. So you never know. Could be a mutual parting of ways, but uh, maybe he'll stick around. Maybe stick around for a very long time. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Go ahead. Uh, subscribe over at the old Substack. It's unexpectedpoints.substack.com. All the advanced reviews are there. I put it out in three installments, which, you know, maybe it's annoying or maybe it's good for people. They have more uh, bite-sized pieces on here for the early window, the late window, and Sunday Night Football. I'll have another out tomorrow morning for the Monday Night Football games and then updated power rankings, updated QB efficiency projections, all that stuff for the rest of the year. Maybe put out a piece closer to the end of the week, too. Well, I like to do something topical. So I did something topical on on what the Jets should do as far as bringing in another quarterback. So I'll, I'll do something topical or I'll maybe put together something where I explicitly look at some betting lines. I just don't want to be like a betting tout, but I explicitly look at some betting lines and some things that I may be looking at for the weekend. And my pressure, my expected pressure model, maybe put something out on that too and go through the methodology there. So a lot, lot of stuff coming here. I don't want to inundate everyone in the inbox, but at the same point in time, you know, I'm asking a somewhat premium price on the Substack, so I think you guys, you know, deserve everything that all the different work that, that I'm putting out there in order to make that happen. And I appreciate all the support from everyone so far this year. Uh, I'll be getting back at you tomorrow morning to talk Monday night football and you know any other Q and A questions that people have then, uh, and then back on Friday and do it again next week. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in, and I'll be talking at you then. Thank you.